Welcome to the Boss Podcast. This podcast provides today's sellers with sales tactics that will help them to reach their goals. Your host, Mark McGinnis, brings you diverse guests, high-quality discussion, and valuable insights on every single show. Mark is the author of Tactical Pipeline Growth, as well as an in-demand sales trainer and coach for B2B companies all over the world. If you want to be better at outbound sales, you're definitely in the right place. Now let's get into the podcast. Welcome to the Boss Podcast. I'm really excited to bring this episode to you for a couple of reasons. The content we have is perfect for getting your year off to a great start. Whether you're a BDM, a full cycle sales rep, a solopreneur, or whether you're leading a sales team, this sales blueprint is a great guide. Secondly, Dean Mannix, our guest for this show, has been such a big influence on my life as a sales professional, as a sales trainer. Having him share his wisdom here with you is what this podcast is all about. It's about giving you great, actionable, and valuable content. The sales growth blueprint, which you can access for free, and you should do, and that Dean shares here will make a significant difference to your year. If you go through this process, I'm confident you'll have a better sales year having done that than if you didn't. So let's get you started for a great start to 2021. Let's go and check in with Dean Mannix. Welcome to the Boss Podcast. This episode, we've got Dean Mannix joining us. Dino, thanks for coming on to the Boss Podcast. Great to have you. Awesome to be here. And uh, here's to a great 2021, Marky Mark. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm really keen to have you on as the first guest for 2021. I know you've got some really great things to share with people. And I think this is going to be a great way for anybody that's listening to this podcast to get themselves off to a superstar to 2021. So it's actually very, very deliberate. Yeah. Thanks, man. Really appreciate it. And that's going to be so important, Mark. So important. Yeah. So, Dino, a little bit of context around you. So you and I have worked together for a long time with great mates, have been friends for six, seven years now. You've been a mentor of mine. And I really do appreciate that. But for those people who aren't familiar with you. You're the co-founder slash CEO of Sales ITV, best-selling author of a great book called Protect and Provide, as well as an awesome amount of content, hundreds and hundreds of sales how-to videos. You've trained salespeople across more than 25 countries around the world, companies such as Westpac, Boston Consulting, Fairfax, Macquarie Bank, basically all those big organizations. So you really have got a huge amount of work behind you and a lot of credibility. And listeners, I just want to tell you what it's like. You know, if you're walking down Macquarie Street in Sydney or in the finance district with Dean, people actually stop him to have a chat. He's trained so many salespeople in these cities of Australia that people actually stop him like a rock star and say, hey, Dino, how are you going? And it's really interesting because I don't think that a lot of people, that happens to a lot of sales trainers, sales coaches, Dean. You know, and I think that says a lot. When people are stopping you, you're obviously producing something of value for them. Yeah, thanks, Mark. And look, I mean, the biggest kick I get is when people say, hey, I tried that strategy or I used that planning or 10 years ago you told me to do this. That's, that's my fuel. That's what really gets me going. Yeah, so, and that obviously works because they stop us in the street and say, hey, Dino. So that's great. One of the things that you're really great at is systemizing sales success. It sounds easy, but it's actually not. And I think that's what I would really like to share with people today. So you've got a great model that both you and I have trained together and separately across some of our clients that we want to share with people today for free. Tell us a little bit about this model. How did you develop it? Where did you find it? And, and let's get stuck into it. Yeah, for sure. So as you know, you know, I've been doing this for now 20, I mean, my 24th year of consulting on sales performance and training people. And 
I've been lucky enough to do that in over 25 countries. And I always make the point that whilst I like to think I'm a smart guy, my intelligence in terms of what I share in sales comes from the fact that I've been exposed to the very best salespeople in the world across countless amazing companies and challenged by incredible leaders that I've worked with globally. And one of the more senior leaders who had been uh, using my services for 16 years across over 20 countries stopped me and said, look, Dino, we paid you a lot of money. You've done a lot of work for us. We've got a lot of value out of it. If you had to put everything down on one page and you weren't allowed to use small font, what's the essence of it all? What, what's the difference between my very, very best salespeople and those that are struggling? And so that was the, the genesis of the sales growth blueprint. And the concept is quite simple. I noticed three areas of any business that had the potential to generate significantly higher sales growth when compared to the rest of the market and, and other salespeople. And inside those three areas, I noticed that there were seven what I call accelerators, things that people were doing tactically or focusing on tactically that radically improved sales growth. And the, and the really good news about the model is you don't have to get all seven right to grow sales. I, no, I noticed that basically if you improve any one of the seven, you should and almost always generate more sales within a 90-day period. So that was the genesis of the model. And the idea is that the more you understand what those seven areas are, the more effective you're going to be in growing sales and importantly, coaching sales. I think I want to make a really point, big point at the start of this podcast. The enemy has been for quite some time, but the really, really big enemy we all face in 2021 is noise, noise and distraction. And it's only go, only the salespeople and the sales leaders who can coach their salespeople that enable themselves to focus, really, really, really aggressively focus on one or two things and enable to shut out all that noise are going to be successful this year because there is just too much noise and our brains are in absolute overdrive and so we've got limited energy, limited focus, limited, limited everything. And so we need to be choosing and clarifying where the growth is going to come from and then relentlessly focusing in one or two areas. Great. Okay, so before we get into the model, let's, you know, the people that are watching at home, <laughs> listening in at home, Let's get, where can they access the model so that they can pause this, go and get that, and then you know start mapping this out as you talk to them? Where can we grab that, Dino? For sure. So I can go to deanmanix.com forward slash blueprint or just search Dean Mannix and Blueprint and that'll take you to the page. You can download it. All you need is your email address. I promise not to pester you. And that'll give you a 30, I think it's about 33, 34 page ebook, which doesn't just set out the model, basically provides you with a bunch of questions and thinking to, to really challenge up how effectively you are in each area and what you could or should be doing to um, to take advantage of, of any of the seven accelerators. Great. People that go away and they've got that, I'll put the link in the show notes, of course, so that that's if you're going to listen all the way to the end, you can go and grab those the link in the show notes so get access to that straight away. People have got the workbook now. Do you want to work us through that, Dino? Yeah, sure. So look, three areas that I noticed the best businesses were better at, more systematic at, and those three areas were, were one, a passion for platforms. So, so when you think about platform, what I'm talking about is if you're a mortgage broker, then financing homes or commercial premises or cars is your platform for success. If you sell solar, then selling solar systems is your platform for success. So for the first area was passion for platform and, and that came in two aspects. One, do you have the ability to make somebody else passionate about you and what you're selling? And two, are you personally passionate enough about it to have the energy to outperform your competitors? So that was the first area that I noticed the great businesses were doing things more effectively. Second area was process efficiency. So it's fantastic to have an exciting platform and passionate people, but do you have efficient processes so that they can talk to more of the right people about the right thing at the right time 
and convert those conversations into happy and excited customers who are creating more customers. So process efficiency, something that's overlooked, but being an ex-McDonald's kid, incredibly passionate about it because I really do believe that's the that's the secret sauce if you want to build an amazing business with amazing people and not burn everybody else out. And then the third one was people productivity. So once again, awesome to have a great product, awesome to have great processes, but we need, oh, well, not all the time, but for most of us, we need humans to close that gap between us and the customer or client. And so that area was really important. So, so three areas. And then, you know, we'll probably start with compelling story. So, Mark, you know, obviously you and I have talked a lot about compelling story. So if you think about this, that concept of conversation, I appreciate that the format and the forum in which those conversations may take place, which could include chat on your website, could include face-to-face, could include Zoom, could include emails, whatever. Do you and your people have the ability to make that conversation compelling? And so I like the word compelling because when you look at the definition of compelling, it's about three things. It's about attractiveness. So is your story attractive enough to cause people to then have interest and make them interested enough to want to have that conversation with you and then ultimately create an irresistible experience in the mind and the heart of the person you're talking to where they go, I've got to have that product. I've got to deal with that person. I've, I've got to learn more. And, and and it's compelling to the other person though, right? That's what you mean. 100%. Well, compelling to both, but ultimately if it's compelling to you and not compelling to others, you're not going to sell very much in it, right? It's amazing how little time businesses and leaders who coach salespeople and even salespeople who talk to other salespeople spend really defining what it is about their story that is truly compelling and enabling themselves to tell those stories and to pass on those messages and to trigger off that emotional and intellectual reaction in another person that says, I want to know more. I want to give you an audience. So what might be an example of a compelling story? Well, it's fascinating. We're on Zencaster. If you go to Zencaster's website, Absolutely brilliant. They show you their new HD video solution, and, and I'm not sponsored by Zencaster and neither you, but they show you the solution and they have side-by-side, they have Zoom running at 240 frames per second, 240, oh, I've forgotten, HDMI, and then basically them running at 720, and you can see the difference in quality. So if you need to record quality videos and share those, it's incredibly compelling because you go, wow, theirs looks so much better. And they visualized it beautifully. So that's just a classic, you know, very, very simple example. Price, if you are the cheapest in the market and you are so much cheaper than everyone else, then that could be very, very compelling. But gee, if that's your story, you better be really cheap and and really <laughs> and consistently cheaper. It could be that you just did a deal for somebody that everybody in the market holds in massively high esteem. Maybe you just, I don't know, did Brad Pitt's hair, right? <laughs> that's compelling for a very large section of the community. So it's so much more than just, hey, Dean, we've got a few benefits or, hey, Dean, this is what I do. And I think it comes down to this. Salespeople spend way too much time trying to articulate what they do and what they sell instead of why people buy it and why people should buy it and why people did buy it. And if you don't have that compelling story at the heart of your sales growth strategy, you're going to struggle. Like you are going to struggle. There's no doubt about it. You might get lots and lots of meetings and talk to lots and lots of people, but it's going to be a struggle for you. It's going to be a struggle for them. And and just time spent in that area yields such massive results on so many levels. Okay, so I've mapped out my compelling story. <laughs> what should be the next play for us? So once you've got your compelling story, the question then is, all right, how am I going to share it with more people, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. The first question to ask yourself is, who are the right people? And this is, it's insane how much energy and weight it gets wasted and how much wastage there is in marketing and how much wastage there is in sales time. 
because businesses just don't have the courage to really select a pure and focused target market that wants to solve the problem that they solve better than anybody else, right? And I think this happens because companies try to be all things to all people, and if you're trying to be all things to all people, the story is not compelling. And if you're trying to market to all people, then you're pretty much marketing to no one. And I'll give you an example. The next 90 days, my primary focus, my one big thing, I love that concept, my one big thing is actually a solar product that's focused on how to sell quality against much cheaper competitors. And that's my market and that's what I'm focused on. And I do sales training for tons of other companies and, and you could argue that my specialization historically has been financial services, but I've got this amazing solar product. I've got this amazingly tight target market. I know exactly where to find them. I know exactly how to get to them. And choosing that target market has been incredibly challenging because I want to have a swipe at everything. But choosing that target market to focus on has made so many other decisions so much easier. And it's made it so much easier for me to prioritize each day and where I need to be spending my time. Yeah, I really like this part of the model. And I think a lot of people are scared that, you know, put a pole in the ground, they're going to miss out on business. When in actual fact, you know, if you think about the way people look for product, they look for products or services, they typically Google very narrow, you know, so they don't look for T-shirts online. They look for black T-shirts, medium Sydney. Metallica, like, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, or pink. They're very specific. So if you're just selling T-shirts and that's your SEO, you know, strategy, T-shirts, then you're going to miss out on all those people who are actually looking for that very specific target. So Correct. I think you have to be attractive to your specific target. Correct. You know, and once you have a compelling story, it's so much easier to figure out who your target market is. Now, you know, let me just make a point. I will get many calls from people in financial services, from people in lots of other industries saying, hey, can you roll out some sales training for my people? I hear you're doing some great virtual stuff. I'm not going to say, no, sorry, I'm focused on solar. My point there is that my outbound activity for the next 90 days and my marketing focus is going to be focused very much almost solely on that one target market because I know I'll get so much more out of myself and I'll penetrate so much more effectively and I'll drive so many more sales by doing that than try to take spray at six or seven different things. Yeah, that's a really good point. A lot of people do think that you're ignoring existing markets. What I copy is we used to say, listen, focus on one street or focus on one building and just actively do everything you possibly can to win that whole building or win that whole street and think every day, what's one more thing I can do? And it's amazing how many sales will be made in that street in the following 90 to 120 days. But if you said focus on the whole patch, it's amazing how, how, how much less energy is generated and how much less intelligence is generated. So that's the second piece. So number one was compelling story. Number two, smarter targeting. See, first thing about process efficiency, smarter targeting. Second piece, once you've chosen your target market, how am I going to engage them? And I, I love you, the work that you're doing in this, in this area, Mark. The crap that I'm getting through LinkedIn is completely turning me off LinkedIn as a connection mechanism for business. It's now just become a marketing forum. And I know that's a horrible thing to say. A lot of people disagree. I'm amazed at what LinkedIn's achieved and I think LinkedIn's an amazing tool and I love Sales Navigator. But I'm so disappointed with just how much crap I'm having to filter out from people who are just sending me generic, horrible messages immediately after I've accepted their connection request. And so so my point there is how, how can you make your engagement persuasive? How can you focus on their problems and what they care about as opposed to what you're doing and what you're trying to sell? And this is an area where I think that, you know, you're providing some amazing commentary. Thank you, Dino. Is your outreach getting labeled as a spammer? What once worked in B2B outbound doesn't work anymore. The goalposts have moved and so must your sales approach. Sure, 
you might land the odd conversation or even a reply to the odd cold email. But is it scalable? Will it provide you with enough revenue to hit your yearly goals? Having worked with sales teams all over the world, we see what works and what doesn't. Our new POW coaching program provides sellers with access to the very best training available today. It doesn't matter if you're a team of 50 or a team of one. We have flipped traditional sales training on its head and allow you to learn in your own time and still get that important coaching help that you need when you need it the most at application. Grab all the details at markmc.co slash POW. So give me an example of persuasive engagement. As you know, when I got out of law, I developed a heap of childcare centres in the early 90s. So we're building childcare all over Queensland. We had seven centres, had 137 employees. It was really challenging collecting money. It was challenging figuring out systems and processes because it was also fresh and new. I used to get called by banks all day, every day saying, hey, we can see that you're growing this amazing childcare empire. Can we come out and find out more about your business? And I was like, piss off. I'm driving 1,500 kilometres a week. I've got 137 employees. I'm literally working 17-hour days, and you want to come out and find out about my business, bugger off. Now, if a banker had phoned me and said, Dean, we've got 50 childcare clients. We've gone out and interviewed them to find out what the best clients are doing to collect money more effectively and how they're attracting new students and filling their places. I'd love to come out and chat to you about four or five things that we found out. I would have said, when can I see you? But people aren't willing to do the work to figure out what I would value and then go and find that for me and do the work for me. Yeah. And, and look, this, this whole insights movement, it's interesting. The, the concept of being able to provide insights is a great concept, but the execution and the amount of rich, quick muppets on LinkedIn selling you too can provide insights, just fill up the internet with a pack of crap, is causing people to, to get this get rich, you know, don't do the work mentality as opposed to, what can I do and learn and read and assimilate so that I've got something that's incredibly valuable to the person I want to sell to? Yeah. And most businesses that I've, at least most that I've been involved with one way or another, have this information. You said just, you know, do the work. And that's exactly, you just need to look a little bit deeper and figure out what is it exactly that my clients are struggling with right now? What's important to them? And what do I know about that at the intersection of where my products or services intersect with their business? So how can I take that social proof? And that's what this is, a social proof strategy and share that in a way that's going to be more persuasive. It already exists. People think that, oh, how does Dean come up with these things? These things actually exist. Specific example, speaking to a mate this morning who had a, a really fantastic security company. They do um, One of their products is the readers for the, for the office. And many companies, they have got people going in and out of the office place, so not every office is shut down. And I was talking to him this morning, I was saying, you know, have you, are you providing any data to the CEOs of these organisations with multiple locations about the movement patterns of their people and how those have changed over the last 12 to 18 months because you've got all that data. And if I was a CEO trying to make decisions on whether I keep the office open or not, who's coming to work and who's not coming to work, I'd be really interested in that conversation or that data. And they've got it. If most people just went out and interviewed their top 30 clients with four to five really interesting questions and actually shut up and listened instead of trying to sell them something and compiled and collated all of the data, they probably have an absolutely amazing set of stories that they could use for the entire year. Yeah, yeah. You know, just to distill it down to 
save time and money. Yeah. If I told you to make 100 calls to people saying, hey, I can save you time and money, do you want to catch up? How motivated would you be? And see, there's two sides to this. Persuasive engagement is about converting at a much higher rate from contact to meeting, but it's also about motivating the people that sell for you to want to go out and talk to more people. Because if all they've got is, hey, do you want to buy my product? Or, hey, we can save you time and money. Can I give you a cheaper price? Why are you surprised that they're not motivated to talk to new customers? It's not very exciting, is it? No, it's not exciting for anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I love that. That's why persuasive engagement is high on my list of things for people to be good at. So that's the third piece, number four. Once again, persuasive proposing. And and it's hard to get into too much detail about this, but it it does my head in how many people do all the work that it takes to finally share a proposal with somebody and, and make a recommendation and what they provide as a quote as opposed to a genuine solution or recommendation. And the way that they provide that, the way that they provide the information, the way that they generate perception of value, all of these things, so often they're, they're doing more that causes people to say no than they are doing stuff that causes people to say yes. And they don't even know about it. But I'll give you a really very quick case in point. We did some work with a client that sold merchant services. When the person on the call center was having a chat to the prospective customer, who was already a customer in the bank, by the way, a, they would get all their details, it would go into a little black box and up on the screen would pop the terms and conditions. But it didn't say terms and conditions, it said fees and charges. So they would say to the customer, okay, the fees and charges are up on the screen. And I mean, what do you think that does to the customer psychologically when they heard those two words? Then even worse, the way the fees and charges were laid out was the most expensive one-off fee was at the top of the page and the free stuff was at the bottom of the page. And so that was the order in which they were sharing it. Now, that was one thing that we helped them change, but we helped them change around about 11 different things that they were doing that were actually causing no's as opposed to just giving them things that were going to say yeses. And that increased their sales by 34% over, it was around about an eight-week period. We actually broke the bank into the business because they were converting too high. And it wasn't that I was a genius. It was literally that they were turning business away and didn't even realize. Interesting. So just by changing the way that you presented the information, they were able to get a 34% increase. Yeah, just... So many things you can change. It's amazing how when you've been doing it the same way for a long, long time, you don't see just how poorly you're actually proposing your solutions and how much more they look like quotes and solutions. There is definitely a blind spot there in a lot of organisations. There's no two ways about that. In my proposals, it's very hard to do this for yourself. Yes, I'm scared to look at mine with fresh eyes. <laughs> okay, what else have we got? What's next, What's next buddy? You know, including proposing the ability to convert. But then once we've got customers or clients... We need to retain them and we need to grow them and we need to generate referrals out of them. I think, and look, I'll put my hand up and I'll, I'll say that I'm, I've been guilty of this over the years and I jump in and jump out and I'm not going to be perfect. But there's so much value to be untapped in your happy customer group and yet we see it again and again and again. Everybody tells you they have these amazing NPS numbers, so Net Promoter Score for those of you who don't know what that acronym means. And then the cause of a net promoter score is generally a question that says something like, how likely would you be to recommend me? And they go, look at my NPS. And I go, cool, how many referrals are you getting? And there's no correlation. They're getting a net promoter score of 93% of their customers saying they would absolutely refer them and only 3% of their customers are referring. That's because people are being paid on their NPS, not on their referral. <laughs> yeah. If you don't, yeah, correct. So, so measure the wrong. Uh, and this new, I haven't read it. I've got to check it out. But LinkedIn's produced the new state of sales report claiming that the number one driver of, I don't know, predicator of sales success is customer satisfaction. I have to read the detail on that, but I'm freaked out by that. 
The bottom line is that if you don't, if part of your strategy isn't a very deliberate approach to your existing client base, then you're missing a really big opportunity. So those are the four elements of process efficiency. You know, the bottom line is I'm speaking to the right people. I'm causing more of them to want to speak to me. I'm converting more conversations into customers and I am leveraging my customer base and turning them into part of my business development strategy. I always say your customers or clients should be your business development team for most businesses. Say that again, Dino. That was good. Customer base or clients should be your business development team. You should think of them as your business development team. And when you start thinking of them that way, you start to understand just how much value there is in actually spending some time taking care of your existing clients and making sure that you're helping them to be successful with your solution and helping them to continue to educate themselves and grow in that area. And if you get those four things right, it's, it's amazing how much energy that can unlock. And it's amazing how easy it is to turn an average salesperson into a good salesperson. This is a really big point. Great process is what enables ordinary people to become extraordinary. Poor process causes extraordinary people to become ordinary people. Ah, interesting. And Good takeaway there. To everybody listening, if your sales processes were a McDonald's store, what would your burgers look like? <laughs> and how long would I have to wait in the drive-thru? Nice. Yeah. Okay. I think there's a few people just hiding at the moment, Dino. <laughs> By the way, when I'm perfect, <laughs> no. Um, so please don't hide. Please don't cry. It's an ongoing process. You know, McDonald's took a lot of years to get to where they are, but that should be the goal of anybody who owns a business. And in fact, that should pretty much be the goal of any salesperson because the more efficiency you drive into your processes, the better quality of life you're going to live and the easier it's going to be for you to achieve amazing financial goals without sacrificing so many other things in your life. Yeah, that's a good segue into the next piece, isn't it? Well, exactly. And, that, and this is the thing, you know, you've got to remember that every, every unit of energy that we put into selling is a unit of energy that we're not using for the rest of our lives. And so I, I'm not a believer in balance. I think it's absolute crap. It's a crap mentality. The bottom line is you're either happy doing what you're doing or you're not. And the reason most salespeople aren't happy in their lives is because when they're in their selling job, they're thinking about the rest of their life. When they're in the rest of their life, they're actually thinking about their selling job because they don't have money to do what they want to do hmm. or energy to do what they want to do. So, so you know, two aspects of this. The first is confidence and motivation and deliberate confidence and motivation. I think in Australia... We talk a lot about mental health and the importance of mental health, but we ignore the value that can be unlocked by a more deliberate approach to building confidence and deliberately and daily building motivation. That's an area that I'm very, very passionate about because it's had such a a positive impact in my life. But unfortunately, you say the words motivation and confidence to most people and they go, look, don't Tony Robbins me. (laughs) Focus on, on the facts. But the simple reality is the same people agree that sales is the head game. So help me understand that. It's actually a head and a heart game. And so the bottom line is you know, a deliberate approach to that. And then I think that leads into the, the seventh element, which is activity accountability. The bottom line is it's funny how many people will show you their Apple Watch and the fact that they closed out their rings for the day and how excited they are. And then they'll tell you that they hate their boss using a CRM because it feels like they're micromanaging them. Yeah. Is that just because they're managing the wrong metrics or what do you think is going on there? Is it because the CRM set up wrong or is it because the salespeople have got the wrong mindset? It's a combination, but the bottom line is that organizations need to take responsibility for the way their people think about being managed with data. And generally, the reason that people don't like being managed with data is, is the way that they are managed with it and the data that they're managed with. The bottom line is, is that really no human being can truly run effectively measuring more than three things. I challenge anybody to show me that they've successfully used seven different metrics to, be, to drive a high-performance team. 
you know, the best sporting teams, each and every player literally only has two to three key metrics that they have to focus on. The team as a whole might have more metrics than that, but as individuals, we can really only focus on two or three, three things. And as leaders, see, so many leaders set themselves up for total failure by trying to leverage 10 metrics. But the thing about 10 metrics is you show me the three red ones, I'll focus on the seven green ones. But I also think it's the wrong metrics. I think that too many organizations just really haven't distilled the essence of cause and effect. And they just default to just more activity, more activity, but really don't define which activity is the best activity, what makes a difference. And that's why we get so many companies scrambling for the next program and the next super secret and, the, and blaming marketing because they haven't really distilled what it is that their people need to do each and every day and how much of it they need to do and the quality level at which they need to do it in order to be successful. Okay, so let's summarize. We've got the seven key pieces here. We've got the compelling story. Compelling story in the middle, you know, drive passion for platform. We've got smarter targeting. We've got persuasive engagement. We've got persuasive proposing. And we've got retention and advocacy or retention and referrals. Depends on which word you use. Efficient processes around those four things. And then we've got people productivity, which is a combination of building confidence and motivation on a daily basis and activity accountability that truly causes people to do the things that matter and do enough of them and do them often enough. Because as you know, I'm, I'm just a huge fan of that saying, consistently good beats occasionally great. Yep, love that, love that. Absolutely. So you said at the start, Dino, we can't do all seven because we'll just blow up. We'll be frozen in indecision as we try to do everything. Where do I start? You start with having a look at your existing business or your existing situation and asking yourself, which of these seven would have the biggest impact in the next 90 days on my pipe or conversion, right? Which I sincerely believe would have the biggest impact. And that's often a great place to start. The big thing is if you, if you really focus on one for 90 days, you're setting yourself up for success. If you try to focus on three or four, you could get yourself into a lot of trouble. If you're a sales leader and you don't know which one you should be going with, maybe Give one to one salesperson, another to another salesperson, another to another salesperson, and coach them differently according to whichever one you've given them and see what happens in the 90 days. Yeah, great advice. Everybody that's listening to this podcast will have heard some of these this language before, and that's because, of course, Dean's strategies are so embedded in the way that he's taught me to help salespeople over time. Dean, once again, so how can people get access to this? How can they get more information from you as an individual, as a sales consultant? Please point us in the right direction. For sure. So just deanmanix.com is the, the website. Please download the blueprint. So basically deanmanix.com forward slash blueprint or one word. And if you've got something you want to speak about or you've got something that you think that you need some help with, just dean at deanmanix.com and those emails do end up getting to me. Unless you try to send me a sales message with this is what we do and these are the benefits of what we sell, can I have a meeting? You will not get success at dean at deanmanix.com. <laughs> Okay. LinkedIn, are you you're open to connecting with salespeople on LinkedIn? What's your, what's your mindset there? Absolutely open to connecting. So, so this year I will be publishing a lot more through the social channels. I did take a pretty big break last year, but I will be producing a lot more because I've really spent a lot of time this year refining what, where I want to focus, where my target market is and what I want to do. So please, I, I always accept any request from a genuine salesperson who's interested. But seriously, if you send me a message with what you want me to sell as soon as I connect with you, you know, you might get a really abusive message back. <laughs> so don't do that. Ladies and gentlemen, listeners, do yourself a favor, download this. This is a really valuable resource. Dean, thanks for coming on and helping so many salespeople and sales managers set themselves up for success in 2021. Really appreciate you coming on the Boss Podcast. Thanks, Marky Mark. When we're green, we grow. When we're right, we rock. And that's from Ray Kroc from McDonald's. 
who managed to achieve a hell of a lot. So, but guys, stay green. Get out there and focus on growth and choose something specific to focus on because noise is our enemy this year. Choose something to focus on. Lovely. Thanks, Dina. Thanks, buddy. Hey, thanks for listening to The Boss Podcast. How would you like a free electronic copy of Tactical Pipeline Growth sent direct to you? Well, I need a little help and I'm prepared to swap you for it. If you leave an honest rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, this will really help other listeners to find us and it helps us to get more great guests in the future. Great guests just like Dean Mannix, who you've just listened to. The good news is it'll only take you about 60 seconds and you can probably do it straight from the device you're now listening to us on. I'd really appreciate it. Simply leave a rating and a review and screenshot that to me either via LinkedIn or via my website and I'll send you an electronic copy of the book. Send them in. I can't wait to read them. That's it for this show. I'll catch you on the next one. Ciao for now.